I want to just ask you a question this morning. And here's the question. What does a godly father look like? And I I think as Demo shared, I come with joy. It's Father's Day. We're going to start the book of James next week. So excited for that. And I know that as Demo prayed, sometimes this isn't the easiest day for some. But I just want to remind you as we look at the Scripture that, as Jeremy said as well, we have a heavenly Father who's perfect, is He not? But as you, you look to the Scripture, what is the secret of being a godly father. There is a profound principle in God's word regarding being a godly father. And the secret, if I could just state it up front, is to be filled with the what? Spirits. And I want you to take your Bible and look over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I suppose in the truest way, there's nothing really that's a secret, but here is a profound principle out of the Word of God to being a godly father. Let me read the text for you from Ephesians 5, verse 15, down through 21, and we'll exposit part of this. But Paul, writing there to the church at Ephesus in 5.15, said, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There is that phrase in verse 18, which is our focus, is to be filled with the Spirit. It is the doctrine, if you will, of the Spirit's filling. It is so foundational that without an understanding of it, a father, for our purposes today, will never be able to model the biblical mandate given to him in the Scripture. In fact, you're well aware, glance down with your eyes at Ephesians 5.25, where it says there, you know it well, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Certainly we see that command for a husband to love his wife. But I would submit to you that there's no way that a husband or a father can do that without the Spirit's filling. In fact, the Spirit's filling is the key. If, if I could use that title, it's the secret of being a godly father. In fact, glance over in your Bible, just the next chapter, you know well, in chapter 6 and verse 4, it says there, and fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There that phrase, to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord and to not provoke them to anger can only be fulfilled by being spirit-filled. 
And so sometimes we go straight to the command, straight to what a husband must do to love his wife and to bring his children up. But the key to those two principles is found here to be a spirit-filled man. Now, the key here as we walk into the text is to understand the, you, you might just say the concept is to see it in its context. If you go back in chapter 5, right there that we read, verse 15, here's the theme in some ways. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Here it is. Not as unwise men, but as wise. And so he's addressing the issue here to all of the body of Christ, certainly, to walk in wisdom. And if you're going to walk in wisdom, very well, verse 18, you need to be filled with the Spirit. If you're a high school man, you need to be filled with the Spirit. If you're a man who's been a a believer and you say, I am a believer, you need to be a Spirit-filled man. I would also maybe just put this in, moms, obviously, this principle is for you. You can't be in... uh, walking in relationship with your husband without this principle, and you can't raise your children in the way of the Lord without this principle as well. So let's look at what it means then in verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. I'm just going to take us in two directions today. First, I want to look at its counterfeits, okay, with the counterfeit to the filling of the Spirit. And then secondly, I want to look at the command to be filled with the Spirit. And then towards the end, I want to just help you understand if I and, and the men in here are filled with the Spirit. So I want it to be very practical. But let's look first, if you're taking notes, taking notes at its counterfeit. It's counterfeit. You'll note there in verse 18, he says, to not get drunk with wine... For that is, and I'm reading from the New American Standard today, that is dissipation or ESB, debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But he gives a counterfeit comparison before he gives the command. The command, obviously, is to be filled with the Spirit, but it's placed in contrast here in the language to not be drunk with wine. Now, you'll note there in verse 18, look down again. He says, do not be drunk with wine. And the question would come to us, what's he getting at here? And if it would be very easy for me or any Bible teacher just to go into the evils of alcohol and the evils associated with alcohol, and I think many pastors and many commentators do just that, and they actually stray from the point that Paul is making here. When Paul makes that statement in verse 18, to not be drunk with wine, the primary issue here is not so much the evils of alcohol. The primary issue is a religious one, okay? One historian said of the Greek culture as he talked about this word coming here to the church at Ephesus, that the great God of Greek mythology was a god, small g, named Zeus. And he gave birth to a son. And his son was Dionysius, who became the god in control, supposedly, of the earth. And Dionysius began to develop a religion. 
And this religion taught that human beings could arise to a level of divine consciousness brought about by ecstasy and even emotion. And it was a religion, if you go back into the history of of that particular time that was characterized by wild music, by dancing, by just sexual perversion, and all of it was induced by drunkenness. In fact, Dionysus, as you look back in the writings of history, became known, quote, as the god of wine. You remember the name Plato, that historian said in his own writing that while these abominable ceremonies in the worship of Dionysus continued, Plato said, quote, it was difficult to find in all of Attica a single sober man. And so when Paul comes here and he's going to get to the point of addressing being filled with the Spirit, he's showing you it's counterfeit. And it's counterfeit is not one from the world, if you will, but it's one from the spiritual perversion of the day. And so what Paul is saying here is that if you really want to walk wise in 515, then don't seek a false substance that's counterfeit. In fact, look at the text again in verse 18. He says there to not be drunk with wine, and then you see this phrase, for that is dissipation. You, and if you're holding an ESV, that is debauchery. The idea here there, if you're getting drunk with wine, is that's just foolishness. And what that word describes there, dissipation, debauchery, is a condition, listen, in which a person cannot control himself, okay? Let me see if I could put it in a word picture for you. We don't have to turn there. You certainly remember Luke chapter 15 and the passage of the prodigal son. It says in Luke 15 verse 13 that he went on a journey into a distant country and there he squandered his estate, and one translation says, with loose living. You know the, the prodigal. He marches off, he squanders his estate, and he squandered it with loose living. That word loose living is the word dissipation. In other words, that prodigal son, as you think about that story in your mind, was foolish. He was out in a lifestyle of debauchery. In fact, the word is used, that word for dissipation, is used in Titus 1.6 when it speaks of an elder's children. And remember that it says there that an elder's children cannot be accused of two things. They cannot be accused of dissipation and rebellion. And there, in other words, you can't have a child that's accused of debauchery, if you will. So the condition of a a drunk then is such, in this context and certainly in ours, that they have lost control, that they are being controlled by something else. They are being controlled by alcohol. And you and I well know the results of what happened when somebody is drunk or when somebody is buzzed. They lose their ability in their speech. Their walk is off. Their timing is off. Their balance is off. That's why when you pull alongside the road, you see a police officer saying, touch your what? 
knows because when you're under the influence, you have no control even over that. Or you see an officer pulled someone aside and they're making them walk, what? On a straight line. And we're familiar with that because when you become under the influence of something, you have lost control. I remember a few years back, my family and I were in the Bay Area and we were driving there on those city streets and those hills and we saw a man that was obviously drunk and he stepped off the curb and he just fell over. And uh, some of our kids just laughed and I said, kids, that's, that's not really funny, is it? Somebody is so drunk, they can't even, they don't even know how they're walking. In fact, when I grew up, a lot of the comedians of the day seemed to imitate people who were drunk. But the bottom line is we know somebody who's drunk has lost absolute control, okay? They've lost their timing, their speech, their balance. So what Paul is saying here on its counterfeit is far from communing with the gods. To be drunk is dissipation. It's debauchery. And now he says that is a counterfeit to the true religion here, to true Christianity. He says rather what you need, verse 18, is to be filled with the Spirit. So very well, I take you from its counterfeit, secondly, to its command. It says there, as you look down again, underline that phrase, a huge phrase. He says to be filled with the Spirit. Now, before we discuss what it means to be filled with the Spirit, let me just take a moment with you to discuss what that doesn't mean. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? This is vital for you men. It's vital for my heart. It's vital for your heart. If you're a young lady, it's vital for your heart, okay? What does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? And let me just make sure I say this up front. You can be a believer and not be filled with the Spirit. You can be a believer and walk in the flesh. You can be a believer and not be under the control of the Spirit. You say, well, Scott, that sounds a little bit out there. No, it's not out there. This is a command, and I'll explain that in a moment. The command is for you to be filled with the Spirit. But very well, before I talk about what it is, let me just describe for a moment what it does not mean. First, the filling of the Spirit is not a bizarre Christian experience or even a second blessing. When Paul says here in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit, I just want you to know he's not talking about a bizarre experience He's not talking about a second blessing. Paul is not talking about a dramatic experience. He is not talking about a vision. Is this coming up? Thank you, Scott. He's not talking about that stuff. He's not talking about a dream. He's not talking about a feeling you get when you feel like you're going to get a feeling, okay? He's not talking about that. In fact, just to be very clear with you, and I mean this um, sincerely, he's not talking about holy laughter, He's not talking about flopping on the ground. He's not talking in some of those extreme forms that we're aware of, of being slain in the Spirit or anything like that. You say, well, Scott, why do you say that? How can you say that? This reason, and I'll get to this in just a moment, this is a command that's in the present tense. He is not talking about a one-time experience. He's saying to you men, If you want to walk in a wise walk and be a godly man, this becomes the normal, everyday, present tense experience. It is the normal Christian experience, not a second blessing subsequent 
to salvation. So number one, it's not a bizarre experience. Number two, the filling of the Spirit does not refer to the possession of the Spirit or the indwelling of the Spirit. Now, I'm getting a little theological here. Listen, every believer, if you're in Christ this morning, possesses the Holy Spirit from the moment of your what? Salvation. When you came to Christ and when you were born again, you were given the Holy Spirit as a down payment. He came into your life. He is in you, the gospel says. But here, this is not referring to the possession or to the indwelling because it would be impossible to be a Christian and not possess the Spirit of God. Let me just show you this just for a second. Look over in the book of Romans, okay? Romans. And here, in, and I'm sure that Scott Booker might have touched on this in his class, and I'm illustrating the fact that he's not referring to possession. He's not referring to indwelling of the Spirit. Look over to Romans chapter 8, where Paul is speaking to us there in 8.1, and he obviously says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he says to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, however, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and then this phrase, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not what? belong to him. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit of Christ. That's why a believer can never be demon-possessed. People say that to me. Can a, can a believer be demon-possessed? No. You can't have the Holy Spirit residing in you at salvation and then be possessed by something else. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of God filled you, if you will, at that moment, at that time, and He's indwelling in you. And if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. Would you glance down at Romans chapter 8 and hear verse 11? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He does. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who, what? Indwells in you. Now, I'm just trying to tell you here, the Spirit indwells you according to Romans 8, 9 and 8, 11. That is not what He's saying in Ephesians. To be filled with the Spirit is different than the possession and the indwelling of the Spirit of God. So the filling of the Spirit is not the same thing as the possession or indwelling of God's Spirit. Thirdly, let me just acknowledge this. I don't believe that he's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some today would ask, have you been baptized in the Spirit yet? I've had people ask me, and they are referring to that you could be a believer, but if you're going to really walk holy, you've got to be baptized in the Spirit. And we don't believe that that's correct. The baptism of the Spirit, you say, what is that, Scott? That is in the Scripture where God acts at the time of your salvation and places you into the body of Christ. Let me just show you the reference. Look over just one book from Romans at 1 Corinthians, okay? Again, I don't believe he's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, why? Because I believe we were baptized into the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Look here in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It very clearly says, For by one Spirit... 
You see this? We were all, what? Baptized into one, what? Body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Listen, when you came to Christ, you said, I didn't know all that happened. Well, certainly, salvation is like a beautiful diamond. It gets more brilliant with the years. You didn't know all about your salvation when you came to Christ, and neither did I when I was 14. That, that Little did I know that at that moment when I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that not only did he forgive my sin, not only did he guarantee me heaven, but at the same time, he gave me the Holy Spirit as the down payment of my inheritance, according to Ephesians 1.14. And at that time when I came to Christ, he, the Spirit of God indwelt me. I don't know if I could have communicated that at 14. At the same time when you came to Christ, at that moment, verse 13 here, you were baptized into one body. You were placed, it, mystically we say, into the body of Christ. And so here is this morning a local expression of it. But let me just say this. There are seven references to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And not one of them is a command. That ends this argument for me. At no place in all of the Word of God are you commanded to be baptized. Now listen, I'm making a distinction. You are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, but this is not what Paul is talking about. No place in the Scripture are we exhorted to be baptized. We are never commanded, number one, to have an experience or to seek a second blessing. We are already possessed and have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. And thirdly, we've already been baptized into the Spirit. And so then the question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That's, that's our subject, right? Go back to Ephesians just for a moment. This is so vitally important. Let's get to what it does mean. Well, it's to be filled with the Spirit. Let me just rattle, I don't know if that's a fair word, a few things off from the language of this phrase so that we can zero in on what it means, okay? And I think the language will help us. Number one, it is a continuous action. I haven't described what it is yet, but understand this, it's a continuous action. You could actually say of that phrase in verse 18, to be kept continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, In other words, it is a present tense, continuous action. In other words, you're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It is an everyday, even every moment command. Secondly, let me just note this for you. In verse 18, it is in what we call the passive voice, which is fascinating to me. You say, Scott, what do you mean the passive voice? In other words, when he says to be filled with the Spirit, The language is in the passive voice, opposite that it's, you're not active in it. Watch this. It is not something you're doing. Something that the text is saying is filling you. You are not filling yourself. Now, I have to just keep going on this, but it is not something that you do. I I, I command myself to be filled. You're, You're not active in it. You're passive in it. In other words, something is taking place in your life. Thirdly, let me say this, and this might be new. It is a command. Okay, that's the title of the head point. It's a command. Men, this is not a suggestion for you. This is not advice for you. 
This is a command to be obeyed. And just as you would obey other scriptures, as a father in your home, as Soren appropriately said, you can't be passive in this. You are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, okay? And number four, I just note this. I don't know if it's worth anything. It's plural in form. This is, you say, what does that mean, plural in form? It's written to all of you. This is not for super saints. This is not for super fathers. This is not for elders only. This is for every single man in this room. This is for every single junior higher in this room. This is a command to every mom in this room. And this is a command to every grandfather in this room. You say, Scott, you're a little edgy. Yeah, I think I am, okay? You say, why so? Because I think we just passively go on. You could come to Christ and just turn on the passive button called cruise control and walk in some ways not in the fullness of the Spirit in your life, and that's scary. So I'm preaching this to myself too. You are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, all of us. So watch this. It is. Let me keep moving. It's a present, continuous action. But the form of it is passive. Something's filling you. You are commanded to obey it, and it is for every Christian. Now, the question that we're looking at today is what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, if you see that word, glance down at verse 18 again. It says to be filled with the Spirit. Now, that word filled there speaks of something. This is fascinating. It speaks of something being controlled by something else. It's the idea, as you see in verse 18, to be filled with something. And whenever the scriptures refer to one in the Bible where one is controlled by an emotion, they use this Greek word pleru, which is the word for filled. Can I just show you a few things? Look over in the book of Acts, and these are simply for illustrations. Look over in Acts chapter 13, and it's not using the phrase filled with the Spirit, but I'm showing you that when someone was filled with an emotion, they were controlled by it. Look over to Acts chapter 13 and verse 8, where it's talking about Elemis, Elemis 13.8, the magician for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the pro-council away from the faith. And in Acts 13, 9, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, interesting, filled with the what? Holy Spirit. In other words, that's not just the possession. That's not just indwelling. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit, I could say it this way, was controlling him. Look what it says. He fixed his gaze upon him. And verse 10 said, you who are, what? Full of deceit and fraud. The the picture there is Elemis was dominated, you get it? By conceit and by deceit. He was dominated by fraud. He was controlled by that emotion. Look back in Acts chapter 5. You're familiar with this. Look over in Acts 5. Watch this, and I think you're well aware, those of you who've grown up in the faith, 
If you haven't, you turn there with me as well and look in Acts chapter 5. You're familiar with Ananias and Sapphira. You remember in 5-2, they kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it. He laid it at the apostles' feet. And, and Peter said in 5-3, Ananias, why has Satan, what, filled your heart? So what's the point, Scott? He was dominated. Satan at that moment had control of Ananias. And in that moment of Acts 13, Elemis was dominated or controlled by deceit and by fraud. Here, Satan had, you understand it, just dominated his heart. Let me just show you a couple other places. I'm just trying to give you a picture of the word. Look over at John chapter 16, okay? Sometimes you have to be careful of word studies. You're entering into a different context. But again, I'm illustrating what that word filled means. And I still quite haven't got to exactly what it is. Stay with me. In John chapter 16, in verse 6, Jesus speaking there. Say, how do you know he was speaking? Because it's red letter edition of my Bible. I know that, right? Remember, he's talking to the disciples. And he said, because in 16, 6, I have said these things to you. Sorrow has what? Filled your heart. You say, what's he talking about? It just, it, it, sorrow, at this point, the disciples were overwhelmed by it. They were just, it filled up who they were. The sorrow began to dominate. That's what the word pleru means, unfilled. Maybe just um, another one, go back to, let me just show you one more. Go to Luke. Let me just show you just for a second. Luke chapter 6 and 6, 11. Or actually, you can go to Luke 5, verse 26. I don't want to take too much here, but it says here, after he cleansed the leper, after he healed the paralytic, it says in 5.26 of Luke that they were all seized with astonishment and begin glorifying God and they were filled with what? Fear. So what does that mean? Fear became the dominant emotion in their life. Now watch this. Do you see? Let me put it together. Paul's counterfeit comparison. Here's what he's saying. Do not be drunk with wine so that the effects of your walk, your speech, your timing, your balance, your thinking and response time is affected by another substance. But he's saying to you fathers today, okay, to be filled with the Spirit, listen, I'm going to make this connection, is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit of God, men, affects your walk, affects your speech, affects your thinking, and affects your responses. To be filled with the Spirit, Father, means that the whole of your personality, your talents, your emotions, if you will, your mind, your heart, your will, is being filled up with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is a command. And you can walk, and I can walk in my home without this Spirit filling. You can walk in your Christian life at some points for periods without knowing the power of what Paul is saying. Let me, let me see if I can just illustrate this just for a second. Take a baseball glove, okay? Um, I sometimes kid my dentist. We have a 
local dentist in our area. I won't mention his name, but Tommy's a great dentist. Um, he, don't hold this against him. He likes the San Francisco Giants, and he knows that I'm a Dodger fan, you know, and I just, we kind of go back and forth. But imagine if you went to the Bay Area, and I've been to that stadium before, and it was opening inning, the players, I was kind of like watching them run out the dugout, take the field, play ball, you know. What if the players just stood on the, on the step as they come out of the dugout? There's probably no step, it's just flat. And they just took their gloves, and they just threw it to the position. There's, the, there's a glove at first base. There's a glove at second base. There's a glove in right field and in center field and so forth. You say, oh, no, 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 no. That glove needs to be filled with a what? With a hand. That glove is only as effective as the hand that is in it. I watched some highlights the other night where Mike Trout on the, on the Angels went up, went over the wall, and reached up with his hand and backhanded. It was phenomenal. Backhanded the ball and pulled it out, took a home run away. But that glove, you understand, is only as good as the hand that is in it. And so what Paul is saying here now, you've got to be under the control of the Holy Spirit that that glove does not sit passive. You say, very well, Scott, then. How do I know if the Holy Spirit is controlling my life. I don't want to leave this nebulous today. How do do you know? How do you know if you're a grandpa, if you're under the Spirit of God? How do you know if you're a dad, if you're full of the Spirit? How do you know if that Holy Spirit, not indwelling, not possession, is filling you? Well, I'm really glad you asked that. Let me just give you a couple results, okay, of what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. Go back to the text in Ephesians 5. I'll tell you how you you can know. It's right there in the text. So this is practical. He says this, be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, here's the first result. You will have a life filled with the Scripture. Look at verse 19 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. 5.19. Speaking, or in the ESV, addressing one another in what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Listen, you will know that you're a man and a father filled with the Spirit when it results in a life that is filled and dominated by the Word of God. A father who is filled with the Spirit is speaking the Scriptures. He is singing this text, the Scripture. He is making melody in your heart. Enough for me to say this, man. If you are not in the Word of God, you can't be filled with the Spirit. Because when you are filled with the Spirit, it will always result that you will begin to address one another in Psalms. In other words, you'll begin to address one another in the Word of God. You'll begin to address one another and make melody, if you will, in your heart to the Lord. Now, do you see this phrase? Glance down. Some of you might be aware of this. Look at it in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Let me show you an interesting connection. Turn to two books to the right in Colossians chapter 3. It almost looks like the same command. But there it says in chapter 3 of Colossians, in verse 16, to let, 3.16, the word of Christ richly, what? dwell within you. And then it says, um, 
There, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Paul uses that same phrasing, but as he comes here to the church at Colossians, he said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Listen, men, I'm just pleading with you today. You've got to be in the word of God. You cannot be filled with the Spirit unless you're filled with the Scripture. You have got to get to the point, I have to get to the point, where you're letting the Word of God richly dwell within you. Now, I've shared this with you before, but I don't share it out of strength to pat myself on my back. I mean, I've been a pastor for 25 years, probably in the Word of God predominantly, 25 to 30 hours a week my whole life. That, that's when I was doing morning and night and the whole thing. But I want you to know I keep this little green sheet in my Bible. It's my two-year Bible reading plan. You say, well, Scott, if you study the Bible that much every day for 25, listen, I am such a foolish man. And, I, and, and if I wasn't careful, I'd have a tendency to just be a speaker and a preacher and a teacher. So I have to drag myself up and get myself in the Word of God with this two-year plan. And I can notice I'm a little bit behind right now. I read through the Bible every two years, read through the book of Psalms twice every year, through the book of Proverbs twice every year, so that in a two-year cycle, it's once through the Bible, four times through. You say, Scott, why do you do that? Frankly, I'm an idiot if I don't do this. I could just operate in the flesh. I could just become... Frankly, just carry on. I've got to be in this. You know why? Because I can't exist apart from that. And I'm saying, I'm not saying that every pastor makes a distinction between his quiet time and his time in the Word. But listen, I'm saying to you men, I got to be in the Word. I got to gobble that Word up. And then I know if I'm checking it off where I am. And you say, why not the one year Bible plan? One of our pastors is reading through the Bible in two years. If I did the one-year Bible plan, I'd turn into the speed reader after I missed four days, right? And then I'd feel guilty, and then I'd just be trying to catch up. So the two-year plan works perfect for me. I go a little slower, but it's, it's in my heart. Listen, l- let me say this to you. Go back to Ephesians just for a second. If you're, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're, you're going to be in psalms and hymns, and sp- you're going to be in the Word. But watch this. And fathers, and I'm in Ephesians 6.4, okay? Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and what? Instruction of the Lord. Men, there is no way you can bring your children up in the instruction of the Lord if you're not abiding in that word yourself. So men, you say, how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Tell me how much time you're spending with the Lord in the week. Not just here. Not, not just with us on Sunday. Listen, you can't be a godly man. And you know, I appreciate... Soren's testimony about his dad, I don't think you can live that unless you're in the Word of God. I don't think you can be those things unless you're ready in season, out of season, because you're feeding on the Word of God. I need to do that. You men need to do that. And let me just say this. Look back in Ephesians. If you're filled with the Spirit, you know what? It says in Ephesians 5, secondly, you know what it's going to result in? Well, this might be too convicting, Verse 20, always giving what? Thanks. But you say, well, Scott, what does that mean? I'm just telling you, if you're full of the Spirit of God and you're following in the command and you're in the Scripture, then the byproduct and the result of your life and my life is that you will give what? Thanks. And if you become, I'm preaching to myself, a complainer, 
and a grumbler and a grump and an angry man in your home, you're not filled with the Spirit. You will know, and I will know, if I'm full of the Spirit. Moms, you will know if you're full of the Spirit, if there's joy in your life, and when you're giving thanks, when it says to fathers, do not provoke your children to what? Anger. You can't, if you're provoking them to anger, you can't be filled with the Spirit because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be giving thanks. When it says to fathers in Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not exasperate your children. If you're parenting them in anger and not in the Spirit's filling, then you're not going to be able to walk with them. But listen, when my life and your life is full of the Spirit, you will give what? Thanks. So just tell me, men, tell me, grandpas, you thankful? You say, well, I, I don't know. Well, I'm just saying take inventory of your life because when the Holy Spirit has full possession of us and we're walking in this command, we'll be able to give thanks always. You know, I just even had to repent this week where as I was reading through my two-year plan, I came to the nation of Israel who just grumbled and complained. And I just had to say, Lord, forgive me. I must not be full of your spirit because if I was, I'd be giving thanks. Look what it says in verse 20. How often do you give thanks? Always, right? Giving thanks for just a few things. No, it says for what? All things. High school students, when you're under the spirit's control, you're going to be able to give thanks. You're going to be able to be joyful in your home. College students, the same. I like what MacArthur said. He said this. He made this comment about people who give thanks. He said the only person who can genuinely give thanks for all things is the humble person. The person who knows he deserves nothing, who therefore gives thanks even for the smallest things. He said lack of thankfulness comes from pride, from the conviction that we deserve something better than we have. Pride tries to convince us that our job, our health, our spouse, and most of what we have is not as good as we deserve. He said pride, pride was the root of the first sin. It remains the root of all sin. Satan's pride led him to rebel against God and try to usurp God's throne. The pride of Adam and Eve led them to believe Satan's lie that they deserved more than what they had and that they even had the right to be like God. Believers are still subject, he said, to the temptations of pride and the only cure is humility which comes from being filled with the Spirit, since being filled with the Spirit is to die to self, end of quote. How thankful are you? You know what? When you and I are filled with the Spirit, he'll go on. You'll be able to mutually submit to one another. And when you're filled with the Spirit, a father's going to actually be able, a husband, to love as Christ, as Christ loved the what? The church. The only way you can do that is the Spirit's filling. You say, Scott, practically, what do I do? Well, I think every day we need to just take inventory of our life. Is it resulting? Are, are we in the Scripture and controlled by them? Thinking, talking, walking. Are we singing and making melody in our heart? Are we giving thanks? Thirdly, we're mutually... You say, what, what's the problem of most families? I was on the phone with a friend last night. His family is just... Well, you know, I, I want to be careful what I say. They don't go to church here. They're, they're not even in our area. You've got a person in that home 
not full of the Spirit, not even sure if they're a believer, but when you're full of the Spirit, 521 says you're going to mutually submit one to another. It doesn't say wives there at that point. Submit to your, it just says we're going to be mutually submitting to one another and it's going to result at least for our purpose today, sacrificial love for your wife. You know what I pray for Grace Church of the Valley? I just pray that we'd have a church full of these kind of men, amen? That we'd have a body that has a group of men that isn't passively walking on cruise control, but is actively eating the word of God daily, that we're trying, keeping accountable to give thanks. We find ourselves in mutual submission to one another in our home and the body of Christ, and we begin to love our wives respectively as Christ loved the church. May God give us those kind of men, amen?